Thank you for joining us today for this Sunday School lesson from Joelton Nazarene Church. My name is John Mills, and I'm glad that I can be here with you uh, to study this lesson today. We are using the lessons from the Nazarene Quarterly, and today's lesson comes from April 26th. This is actually the lesson from last Sunday, so if you have a quarterly and you want to look that up, it's April 26th, and the title is The Man at the Pool of Bethesda. Before we begin our lesson, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and to learn from you. And we ask that your spirit, Lord, would speak your word to our heart to help us to to learn from it what you would have us to get out of it, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, as we said, the title of the lesson is The Man at the Pool of Bethesda. And our scripture reference comes from the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, and we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. So if you have a Bible and you want to uh, read along with us, that would be fine. The theme of today's lesson, as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus heals both physically and spiritually. When we read the Gospels, we find the account of the life of Jesus. He's traveling around Galilee, and he's doing a lot of things. He's telling them about the kingdom of heaven. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's doing some dramatic things like walking on the water and raising the dead. But one of the things that he spends a lot of time doing is healing. He heals people who have lots and lots of different problems. Many are crippled. Uh, Some are blind. Some are deaf. Some can't speak. Uh, There's the woman who has the issue of blood. We find all sorts of examples of Jesus reaching out to heal those with some kind of physical deformity. Uh, Sometimes it's a very dramatic healing. Sometimes it's not quite so dramatic. But we see Jesus taking time to reach out to those around him that are in need. Now, in our modern world, we expect doctors to be able to do something to help us. Really, we expect almost any kind of disease or sickness to be treatable. But in Jesus' time, if you were sick, you didn't have a lot of options. Many times, doctors really couldn't help you very much. You just basically had to suffer the effects of the disease. So sick people got along as best they could with help from their family, with help from their friends. Life would be pretty hard, though. Life could be rough for the ordinary people of Jesus' day. But those who had some kind of physical disability, some kind of sickness, life could really be difficult for them. So in today's scripture, we look at the power of Jesus to heal those who seem even the most helpless. So our story begins with a crippled man. His problem was that he had been unable to walk for 38 years. He was immobile. He was laying on his mat all day. We're not told how old he was, but we know that with the average life expectancy of those days, to be ill with something for 38 years, he probably had this condition for most of his life. And he most likely is nearing the end of his life. We don't know what his condition was exactly, only that he was unable to walk, uh, that he, he couldn't move. Now, he was at the pool of Bethesda, 
And his problem was he could not get down into the pool in time to be healed. The uh, theory was that from time to time, an angel would trouble the waters there at the pool of Bethesda. And when you saw the waters being troubled, when you saw some kind of bubbling taking place, if you were the first one to get down into the pool, you would be healed. And so this man, he had pinned all of his hopes on the powers of this pool, on being the first one into the water after the angel had visited. Now, the Bible is not telling us that this is a true story. It's telling us that this is what the people at Bethesda believed. Now, we know that, that this wasn't true, that this man was pinning his hopes on something that could never occur. But you can imagine what the scene would be like. This was a fairly large gathering of, of crippled people. The Bible tells us there were five porches uh, with covered roofs, and the sick people would lay around this pool. And so you can imagine what would happen when the waters were troubled. You can see people scrambling, uh, elbowing past one another, trying to be the first ones to get into the pool. So from the account of this man, we see a man who is utterly alone. He seems to have no friends with him. He seems to have no family. He has no kind of support network. So he's on his own. He can't get into the pool because he's unable to walk. So a man who is completely helpless with no resources, and he's at this pool day after day after day. And then Jesus shows up. Now, Jesus was at Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, and we're not told which one. But three times a year, all Jewish males were supposed to come to Jerusalem to celebrate a festival, if they possibly could. These were the festivals of Passover and Pentecost and then the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, we are used to the idea that we can worship God anywhere, that God is everywhere. But for the Jewish people, there was one place where the Spirit of God dwelt, and that was at Jerusalem. If you were going to worship, if you were going to sacrifice, you had to go to Jerusalem uh, to do this. And so during those three times a year, when the people would gather together, the population of Jerusalem would swell. It would go up two, three, four, sometimes even as many as six times what was normal. So you can imagine the crowds that were gathered around Jerusalem at this time. We don't know exactly why Jesus went to Bethesda. The scripture makes it sound as if he were there to visit the pool, not that he had just happened to be passing by. So we find Jesus at the pool. We don't really know why, but Jesus notices this man who had been crippled for 38 years. And when he finds out that the man had been there for this length of time, it attracts his pity, it attracts his mercy, and he goes over to the man. And he asks him a question, a question that might seem to make no sense to us. He asks him, do you want to become well? Now, we would think likely, of course, who wouldn't want to get well? But many times, people in this condition may not actually want to get well. They don't like the condition they're in, but they may not necessarily want to do what it takes uh, to get completely healed. But this man doesn't reply to Jesus whether he wants to get well or not. 
Instead, he tells Jesus why he hasn't recovered. He tells him, I'm here, but whenever the water is troubled, I can't get into the pool fast enough. Because I have no one to help me, someone always gets to the pool first. And so, day after day, I have to sit back and watch other people get into the pool. Well, then Jesus does something for this man. He does something that the pool could never do. He heals him. It's not dramatic. There are not a lot of fireworks here. Jesus tells the man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the Bible tells us that the man is healed. You know, many times when Jesus healed someone, it would be dependent upon the faith of the one being healed. But in this case, there's no mention of faith. Jesus simply heals the man with nothing else taking, uh, uh, with no other actions before this. Now, the man doesn't even know who Jesus is, so it's not really a question of having faith in Jesus. And it seems like he is healed before he picks up his mat. So it doesn't look like he is required to do anything to be healed, but he's healed, he picks up his mat, and then he begins to walk. And you have to wonder what's going through the man's mind at this time. Here he's been crippled for 38 years, and all of a sudden he finds himself on his feet, he finds himself walking. Out of the blue, his life has totally changed. Now, then Jesus goes back into the crowd, and we find the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of that day, we find them becoming involved. They see this man walking through the temple uh, on the Sabbath, carrying this mat, and this is a violation of the Sabbath regulations. It's forbidden to work on the Sabbath, and to carry your mat would be classified as a type of work. By this time, the Jewish leaders had classified every bit of the law. And so they had numerous regulations as to what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. So when they saw this man carrying his mat, it would have attracted their attention. This was something that just wasn't done. They knew right away that he was not supposed to be carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. Now, we don't know why Jesus asked the man to pick up his mat and to carry it. Was it a deliberate attempt uh, to provoke a reaction from uh, the religious leaders of that day? We don't know. But I think it seems likely that Jesus was telling the man to take his mat because Jesus wanted it clear that this healing was permanent. The man wasn't going to be coming back to the pool. He didn't need to leave his mat behind in case he had to return. He could take the mat with him because he was leaving. He did not need the pool of Bethesda anymore. So it was a sign to the man and to the people around him that this man had been healed. So the religious leaders see this man walking through the crowds, carrying his mat, and they immediately confront him. Their role was to make sure that people were obeying the law. 
This was a festival time. There were crowds everywhere. There were lots of people from outside Jerusalem. So you can imagine that the Jewish leaders were intent on making sure that people were obeying the law. It may have been that a number of visitors to Jerusalem may not have known all of the laws. And so the religious leaders had an obligation to make sure that the law was being kept. Now, when they confronted the man, he replies, The man who made me walk told me, pick up my mat and walk. That's why I'm doing this. He was acknowledging the authority of Jesus. He was saying, I'm I'm just doing what I was told to do. And I was told to do it by a man who had the power to heal me. And so I listened to him. And we can think we would have obeyed such a man as well. So the crippled man responded, I know it's a violation of the law. I was told to do it by someone I felt had authority, and so I did it. Now, the religious leaders immediately recognize that this is a challenge to their authority and to the authority of the establishment there, the religious establishment. As interpreters of the law, they were the ones who should have been deciding what was allowed, what was not allowed on the Sabbath. And here was someone who was giving people permission to break the Sabbath. So they saw this as a threat. It wasn't just another healing, but it was a healing on the Sabbath day itself. And we can see how seriously they took this because the Bible tells us that after another such healing on the Sabbath, when Jesus healed a man with a withered hand, the Pharisees actually plotted after that how they might kill Jesus. So this was something that was taken very, very seriously. Now, it's interesting, the man who was healed had no idea who Jesus really was. He didn't know his name. And after the healing, Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. And so the man was unable to tell them who it was that had healed them. Uh, It seems to us kind of odd that the man would be so passive that he's been healed, and yet he doesn't take the time, he doesn't have the interest to figure out or even to ask, who is this man that's healing me? Now, after this, the Bible tells us that Jesus finds the man again. And this time, he's there to deal with the man's other problem. He's there to deal with the man's sin problem. Jesus tells this crippled man, he says, you're well now. So stop sinning. And he warns him, if you don't stop sinning, something worse may happen to you. Now, it might be surprising for us to think that this crippled man had a problem with sin. He was crippled. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't do anything. You know, we might tend to think, how much sin could he get into? But we have the wrong conception of sin a lot of times where we classify sin into bigger sins and smaller sins. But the sin is a sin, and all sins separate us from God. And in God's eyes, there are no bigger sins and smaller sins. Sin is a matter of the heart, and a heart in sin is a heart in rebellion against God. So we're not told exactly what this sin was, but we know there was something in this man's life that was crippling him crippling him just as much as his physical disability. When this man finds out that it was Jesus, when Jesus comes back to him the second time, 
he does something that's pretty surprising. He goes back to the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, and he tells them, it was Jesus. This was the man who made me well. Now, that doesn't seem to be very grateful to us. Uh, the man probably realized that he was in trouble with the religious leaders. He didn't know where this would go. And so it seems like to us he is using this as a way to put Jesus back in the spotlight and to get himself out of trouble. He had to know that this would put Jesus in jeopardy. He realized that he himself was in jeopardy. By giving them Jesus' name, he could shift the blame from himself to Jesus. This doesn't sound like something you would do to a man who had just healed you from a condition where you had been crippled for 38 years. But he thinks, this is my chance to get off the hook. I'll give the Jewish leaders a, a bigger fish to catch. And so he gives them Jesus' name. Uh, now, the story ends here, our text ends here. Uh, but there are a number of scriptural principles that we can learn from this uh, episode in the Bible. Now, one of the things we see as we look closely at this episode, the crippled man knew that he had a problem. You know, he couldn't miss the fact that he couldn't walk. He knew he needed to be healed. But he was looking for a solution in the wrong place. He was pinning all of his hopes on this pool at Bethesda where supposedly an angel would visit and the water would be troubled and then a miraculous healing would, be take, would take place if he was the first person to get into the water. And so this was why he was there at the pool. But as he told Jesus, he was disappointed time after time because he could never be the first one to get into the water. But even if he had made it into the water before anyone else, he would still have been disappointed because this pool did not have the power to heal him. And so there at the pool of Bethesda, we have a perfect metaphor for our society today. At this pool, they were surrounded by people who needed healing, by blind people, deaf people, crippled people people with every kind of sickness and disability. All of them are gathered around this pool waiting for the waters to be troubled. And when the waters are troubled, you see a scene of mass confusion as everyone is fighting to be the first one to get into the pool. They're elbowing each other. They're climbing over each other. You can imag imagine that people are being trampled in the rush. And all of their efforts, though, are doomed to failure because they are basing their hopes on something that doesn't exist. Now, today we see people whose lives are in ruin. They may be in physical health, but their spiritual lives uh, are hurting. They are empty inside. And so they try to solve their problems by looking for a solution, by seeking a cure, but they look in all of the wrong places. It may be that they fill their lives with addictions, addictions to drugs or alcohol, addictions to food, addictions to shopping, addictions to video games. There could be any number of things that people look to to fill that void in their lives. Maybe it's a relationship. The idea that if I can find that perfect man, that perfect woman to share my life with, then 
uh, my life would be healed. This ache, these feelings I have inside of me, they would be taken care of. They spend their lives thinking, if only, if only I had the right job, if only I made more money, if only I had a nicer house, if only I could afford, you know, another car, if only I could uh, afford this or that. And so they fight each other tooth and nail to make sure they get what they can to try to get these things that will heal them. And all of the time, it never satisfies. St. Augustine says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And he was pointing out a simple fact. God created us to have fellowship with him. God created us never to be satisfied with something less than that. And so when we're looking to all of these other things to find spiritual healing, we are doomed to be disappointed. These things cannot heal us. Pascal wrote, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator. So this man at Bethesda, he knew that he had a problem. He knew that he had it healing. And he thought that he knew what the solution was. He thought if there was some way where he could be the first one into the pool, his problems would be over. But, like many of us today, he was looking in all the wrong places. Now, another thing that we can learn from this story is we see that when God works in our lives, it's always because of His grace. God's working in our lives is never because we have done anything to deserve it or to earn healing. God heals us because He is a gracious, compassionate God. It's not because we deserve it. God God gives us grace. Grace is the receiving of spiritual gifts, the receiving of action, spiritual action on our part, when we don't deserve it when we haven't done anything to earn it. And so as we look at how Jesus interacted with this man, we see a perfect example of grace in action. When you look at the man that Jesus healed, there's nothing uh, that is attractive about him. There's nothing to draw you to him. He was a man who was very passive about his situation, almost as if he had given up, as if he had resigned himself to being a crippled. He blamed others for his situation. When Jesus asked him, don't you want to be healed? He said, well, it's because I have no one to help me. It's everybody else's fault. They beat me into the pool. So he does nothing to contribute to his own healing. He focuses his problems on other people. There's no indication that he had any kind of faith. Uh, he, he made no moves of faith. His only action is taken after he is healed. He isn't grateful to be healed. You know, after he's healed, he doesn't thank Jesus. He doesn't even take the time to find out Jesus' name. When he's challenged by the religious leaders for breaking the Sabbath laws, he blames it on Jesus. And then when he does find out Jesus' name, he makes sure that he goes to the leaders and he tells them, He throws Jesus under the bus, so to speak, to save his own neck. Now, one of the commercials that you see a lot of times on TV is a commercial for Shriners Hospital. 
and they do a lot of good for crippled children. And so you'll see their commercials where they are raising money to try to take care of these children. And when they advertise, they always use pictures of the cutest, the most adorable children. They know that we respond well to this type of child. You know, we're far more likely to give if we find the person that we are giving to attractive or we find them worthy of our gift in some way. But fortunately, God is not us. He doesn't base his actions on what we do, on whether we deserve his help or not. God is gracious. We've done nothing to deserve his work. Instead, it's entirely a, a, a measure of God's grace and love towards us. So in this healing, we see grace at work. This man didn't deserve it. He demonstrated no faith. He showed no gratitude. But Jesus healed him. So if we're honest, a lot of times we can see indications of this man in ourselves. Often we aren't grateful enough. We, aren't, uh, we don't show gratitude and yet God pours out his grace into our lives as well. Now, from this healing, we also see another important fact. With God, no one is disposable. God doesn't see anyone as expendable, as not worth the effort. We tend to divide people into groups. We see some people as very important, and some people as somewhat important, and others we kind of don't value at all. We, we think they matter very little. But in God's sight, everyone matters. Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep, the man who had 100 sheep. One of them wanders away. And he leaves the 99 to go looking for that one particular sheep. Now, we might think, well, what difference does it make? 99 sheep, 100 sheep, it's all about the same. But to this man, that one sheep could not be left to wander. He had to go and find it. You know, uh, even though he had 99 other sheep, he wasn't willing to see this one get away. So Jesus was assuring us to our Heavenly Father, 99 is not good enough. Everybody matters. We see Jesus making this trip to Bethesda. And it looks like that he went there to see this one particular man. There are hundreds of people there who needed healing. Jesus could have spent all day there healing various people. And there were times when Jesus would spend days healing the multitudes. But in this case, he shows up at the pool. He interacts with this one man, heals him, and then he slips away. So he gives his whole day to this one particular man. And as we pointed out, a man who doesn't really deserve it. But to Jesus, this man was worth his efforts, and we can be assured that we are worth Jesus' time and attention as well. Now, when we look at the account of this man's healing, we see one final thing. This man was crippled physically, but he was also crippled spiritually. After he was healed physically, he still had a problem. Jesus came to him a second time to warn him that he had to stop sinning. Jesus tells him, if you don't stop sinning, you're going to find yourself in an even worse condition. 
Now, I'm sure this man was taken up with his physical need. That was what concerned him. Jesus wanted him to know your physical need isn't your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is your sin. We don't know what that sin was, but evidently it was ongoing, and it was something that needed to be gotten rid of. His sin was a cancer that would eventually eat him from the inside out. And Jesus puts a lot of effort into making sure that this doesn't happen, into making sure that this man is warned about his true conditions. Jesus had to have known that the authorities were looking for him. He had to have known that he was putting himself in risk by staying in this area and by revealing himself to this man. But yet he comes back to make sure that the crippled man knew the reality of his situation. His physical disability was a problem, but not his biggest problem. His more serious problem, he was in danger of losing his very soul. In Matthew 10:28, Jesus warns his disciples, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, you know, a lot of times we look at our lives and we see our outward condition. We see maybe our physical problems, our material needs. We see these as our biggest obstacles. We never realize our true problem is that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. In today's lesson, we see uh, in Scripture the story of a man who had a miraculous encounter with Christ. His life was drastically changed. From this point on, everything would be different. All of the difficulties, all of the problems, everything associated with being a crippled man at this time was done away with. Uh, This man had a new lease on life. He had new possibilities. All of these were opened up for him. Maybe you've dreamed about something like this thinking, boy, I wish that could happen to me. I wish I could wake up and find that this situation was taken care of or that this problem was resolved. You know, maybe there there is a physical problem, a health problem, uh, a money problem, whatever it might be, something, though, that's limiting us. And we think to ourselves, you know, what a difference this would make in my life if only this condition were taken care of, if only I were healed, so to speak. Maybe it is a physical condition. Maybe it's something you've sought help for uh, for years, and yet God has never healed you from it. Uh, It's something that you continue to suffer with. At these times, Satan comes to us and he whispers, you know, God doesn't really care about you. God isn't really that concerned. If he does, he would have healed you by now. But what we have to realize is spiritual healing, emotional healing, these can take place in our lives whether physical healing takes place or not. In fact, sometimes spiritual healing can take place only when physical healing does not, when our bodies remain uh, with a, a physical problem. Johnny Erickson Tata you probably recognize that name. Today, she, she's a well-known Christian uh, author and speaker. But on July 30th, 1967, she was a healthy, active 18-year-old. 
That day, she dove into Chesapeake Bay, and everything in her life changed. The water was a lot shallower than she expected it to be, and she struck her neck. She fractured vertebrae. She was left paralyzed from the shoulders down. She tells us that she spent the next two years in rehabilitation. She went through depression, anger, suicidal thoughts, religious doubts. But eventually she was able to allow God to move and to work in her lives. Today she's written over 40 books. She has, uh, has several uh, music albums. She starred in a movie about her life. She's been a source of inspiration to millions. And all of this was while remaining paralyzed. To this day, she cannot move anything below her neck. For every act of her daily life, she depends upon someone to help her. And I'm sure that over the years, she's prayed numerous times uh, to be healed of this, for God to do something in her life, and yet it hasn't happened. But on the 50th anniversary of her accident, she wrote in an article, I began to see there are more important things in life than walking and having the use of your hands. It sounds incredible, but I really would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than to be on my feet without him. Johnny discovered an important principle. While we tend to focus on physical healing, God may be focused on something that's much more important. God is focused on our spiritual healing. In her book, The God I Love, A Lifetime of Walking with Jesus, she writes this prayer. I know I wouldn't know you, I wouldn't love and trust you, were it not for this wheelchair. You know, as the theme of our lesson states, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, is able to heal both physically and spiritually. We can be confident of this, no matter what our situation is. Christ is the answer for it. For physical healing at times, for spiritual healing all the time, God wants to do something in our lives. Thank you for spending this time with me, and I want to close our lesson in prayer. If you'll bow your heads. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this lesson that we've studied today. We thank you for this example of your grace and mercy that we've seen, how you touched and healed this crippled man, Lord, 2,000 years ago. And we know that it didn't end there, it didn't stop there, but that you are still active and working in our lives. Sometimes it's to heal our physical needs, but always it's to take care of our spiritual needs. And we ask, Lord, that during this next week, you would have your way in each and every heart, in your name, amen.